Good morning, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to all you moms. We uh, praise the Lord for you, and uh, life would be, well, non-existent without moms, first of all, but aside from that, it would be much different than it is. So we praise God for you moms, and we, uh, we pray that uh, you would be blessed today, that you would be encouraged today, that you would feel honored today. We appreciate you. And so, in uh, celebration of Mother's Day, let's turn to that great Mother's Day passage, Romans chapter 2. <laughs> so, making fun of myself there, not God's Word, of course. We are in Romans chapter 2, and we are continuing our course through this book that is making very, very, very plain to us our fallenness and our depravity and we move beyond just those things and this week we begin to talk about the results of those things. And so you are uh, open in your Bible to Romans chapter 2 and I want to read for us verses 6 through 11. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not, do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. And turn, if you would, to chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we come to you in worship this morning. We come to you to worship you for who you are. You are our creator and sustainer, and those things mean that you get to establish the terms of our lives. You get to demand obedience from us as your creatures. We worship you as our creator. And we praise you that though we as your creatures have rebelled and have not followed your standard, have not obeyed, your law, that you have become our Redeemer. And so we praise you for that redemption. Even today, as we come together and we get to sing songs about this salvation that we have, this redemption that we have in Christ, we get to sing songs about you and to you and about our Savior, and we get to rejoice in this salvation that we have. So we praise you 
for that gospel message. Father, as we discuss a passage that makes very clear our own guilt before you and the consequences thereof, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves, help us to see clearly the truth about us and about you and about your standard and about our disobedience and about the results. And may our seeing that clearly and truly prepare us for what we get to discuss in chapter 5. So, Father, we pray for your blessing on our morning and pray that you, by your Spirit, would speak to us from your Word right where we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn back, if you would, to chapter 2, and that's where we will begin. And again, today is Mother's Day, and so, again, I want to say Happy Mother's Day. Um, And one thing that all of our mothers know is uh, that pregnancy has its ups and downs. I've observed from afar and from less afar, but of course I I am an observer in that, but uh, pregnancy itself is uh, a cost that a mom pays. Your body is not your own. Suddenly the baby moves in and the baby gets to make decisions about your body. And one of those decisions might be that you end up on bed rest so that you don't risk the health of that baby. Uh, the, another one of those changes is that you might change your taste in food. Suddenly something you've gone without for a long time you have to have. Or something that you love does not go down right. It changes your taste in food. And I understand, though of course I've not experienced it, that your bladder becomes a trampoline for the baby. So that sounds like a lot of fun to me. (laughs) Pregnancy has its ups and downs. And it's interesting that many mothers, mothers mothers-to-be, can hardly wait for their pregnancy to be over because of this cost that they're paying in their body, because of the discomfort that they're feeling, because of these changes that have gone on, because of the trampoline or whatever. They they, uh, can't wait to get their own body back and have this baby, but... Other mothers find that, you know, at least when the baby's in the womb, you know where the baby is and what the baby's doing. You don't have to change diapers or chase that baby around. We have one friend who has eight children, and uh, she's very aware that keeping track of the one in the womb is a whole lot easier than keeping track of those that are out here. So she would just like to bake a little while longer. So I know mothers have different opinions on that topic. It seems to me as a person looking from the outside that even the hardships and the struggles that can be associated with pregnancy fade with joy and comfort after finally getting to hold that baby in your arms. Suddenly it becomes worth it. All that discomfort, all that inconvenience becomes worth it. Well, we are at a hard part in the book of Romans. When you read it on your own, it only takes you a few minutes to get to 321 where you get to jump up and down, right? You get to celebrate and rejoice. It just takes you a few minutes to get there. But of course, we don't preach at that pace. And so uh, this is a hard part and we're kind of dwelling on it. And my desire for us today 
is that we would think about this part of Romans a little bit like pregnancy. That it has some hard parts. It has some difficulties. It has some things we would rather not have to deal with. But the payoff is coming. The time is coming and it will be worth it. The hard news of having our sinfulness highlighted becomes worth it when we see the life that God brings forth from that. And so let's have that in mind, even as we come to our passage today in Romans chapter 2, that this is a little bit like pregnancy, that uh, it has a lot of turmoil and ups and downs, but the payoff is coming. And when that payoff happens, suddenly the, the difficulty fades and you rejoice that you get to snuggle that baby. And for me, I like to smell the baby. I don't know why, but I, we get to hold that baby, snuggle your own child. And so we turn to our passage in Romans chapter 2, and we're going to see that in your outline there, you really only have two main sections. And we're looking at the first and what it means to be under law. And so we're, we're in chapter 2, starting in verse 6. The Bible has several ways that it talks about law. And at its most basic, law in the Bible refers to God's righteous standard, what He expects us to do, how He demands that we behave. And so that's what we see here in verse 6 of chapter 2 when we read that He will render to each one according to His works. God's standard of judgment is according to works. The paragraph before had just concluded by highlighting that the God is patient and He he has the, the, the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience and that patience is is to lead you to repentance. It's to lead the unbeliever to repentance. But, of course, for those who don't, for those who do not repent, they are actually treasuring up. They are storing up wrath for themselves. And so... What is, what should lead them to a place of repentance where they, uh, where they turn and they change for them actually becomes a harder and a heavier thing. And that judgment upon them is going to be uh, revealed on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God has a standard when it talks about our, uh, our Judgment that's according to works. God has a standard, and that standard is not hard to find. It's His own character, and it's His own nature. It's revealed in the law, and it's revealed in Christ. But it's His own character and nature. You see, He's our Creator, and so as our Creator and we His creations, He gets to call the shots. And so His expectation for us is that we be holy like He is holy. And of course, we read that several times in the Bible. Be holy as God is holy. He made us. He has every right to determine for us how we will live, what the standard for our behavior will be. You see, we were all born in Adam. The first man, Adam, who was created, who was placed in the garden who was given a standard, who was given law, who was given communication from God about how he should behave. And we are his offspring. We are descendants of Adam. We all come from Adam himself. And so that standard that was applied to Adam, our first father, applies to us as well, to everyone who is born in Adam. 
And so Adam had been given God's command to obey, and he had been given consequences for disobedience to that. And so we also, as children of Adam, are born with the same obligations. Born with the obligation to obey God and the penalty of death if we disobey our God. The day of assessment is coming. The day when our works as children of Adam will be assessed, will be measured before God. Judgment day, called the day of wrath or the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It's a day when all those who are created in God's image, offspring of Adam, will have their obedience to God assessed. And it's an assessment that's according to works. And it's an assessment that is to every human. God's standard of judgment is applicable to every human. Paul says, He will render to each one according to his works. That's everybody. There's no group that's exempted from that. There's no, there's nobody that's exempted from that, that we will have our account audited, as it were, to see, to examine our obedience, to examine our lives, and no one gets a buy in that. Every person who's descended from Adam is subject to that same standard and to that same audit. And when God judges, He does so with an impartial judgment. His judgment is impartial. Even the Jews who around Paul's time had already come up with the idea that that there would be a different standard for the Gentiles. The Gentiles would be judged very harshly according to their works, according to their disobedience of God, and it would be a hard thing, it would be a harsh thing, and it would be final, and it would be terrible, and it would be awful, and it would be what they deserve. But for the Jews, there's a different standard. They were understanding already at this time that, well, that, that God loves us especially, that, that, that we are His chosen people, and therefore He has a different standard for us. And so he will judge us accordingly. We will be judged on a curve. We will have a different standard, a different bar. But what Paul is saying here is that everyone, Jew and Greek, everyone will stand and will face this assessment. And so... Before we move on to our second point, I want to summarize kind of the, a little bit of the theology, a little bit of what is going on in our passage here, that Paul is arguing that God will render judgment upon every human being based upon works. Verses 8 and 9 of our passage make that very clear. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Disobedience to God's righteous standard earns wrath and fury, tribulation and distress. And that's a bleak message. When he says in verse 7, that uh, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, God will give them eternal life. He's laying out the standard that must be met in order to inherit eternal life. What is that standard? What's that standard given in Adam, given to Adam? Well, in our passage, it's always do good and seek only what God has promised. That's a tough standard. 
And he makes it explicit. Look down at verse 10. He says, There will be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. And Jesus said much the same thing in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. He says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And of course, the reward is wonderful. It's amazingly wonderful. It's glory and honor and peace. It's eternal life. That's the reward. But the problem should be apparent to everyone who's listening. And even though we haven't gotten to chapter 3 of Romans, where we read that famous verse that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even though we haven't gotten to that point, we've read the Old Testament. We know the testimony of the Old Testament. Uh, For example, in 1 Kings chapter 8, that there is no one who does not sin. So Paul has set up two categories. In God's assessment, in his judgment of Adam, his judgment of mankind, there are two possible categories. One is the category of obedience that results in eternal life, and the other is the the category of disobedience which results in judgment. So Paul has set up these two categories, and he says, when God judges based upon works, these are the two categories. But you and I recognize the problem. Though there are two categories, we are all in the same category. We're all in the wrong category. We're all in the category of disobedience. That's the bad news. That's the pregnancy. That's the difficult part. And my prayer this morning is that the weight of that will have its effect on us. And our own understanding of what it means to be human, what it means to be sinners, what it means to be children of Adam, and what the result of that is, and that that weight will prepare us for point number two. Because the Christian is not under the law. He's under the gospel. So we turn in our Bibles to chapter 5. Same book, Romans chapter 5. I will read once again verses 1 and 2. So feel the weight of that judgment of that guilt feel that for a moment and then listen to these verses therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see, that standard that was set up in chapter 2 and that is, is developed further into chapter 3, all the way through chapter 3 and verse 20, that standard of judgment, of absolute righteous judgment of works, is bad news for us. But it's not the end of the news. Chapter 5 happens and we read about justification by faith. Justification by faith. You see, there was one. There was one human who's referred to as the last Adam, the second Adam, who had expectations by God placed upon him. Obedience was demanded of him. He had to be obedient 
to the Father. And so the second Adam, Jesus, the Son of God, came. And he was born of a woman. And he grew up as a, as a human just like us, only not like us because of his obedience. Always obedient to the Father. Always obedient from the heart to every wish and desire of the Father. Always obedient from the heart to every detailed demand of the law. Meeting God's righteous requirement perfectly. And so here you have one person, finally one person, the only one, and Adam himself, the very first one, failed, and the rest of us after have done so. And here you have one person who obeys. You have one person who inherits those blessings of chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, instead of the curses. The only one, Jesus himself. And that's why we read in such detail about him in the Gospels, about his obedience, about his understanding of the law, about his greater understanding of the law than even the the scribes and the Pharisees. And, And he himself is shown to be obedient to God at every moment, at every instant, joyfully, gladly, from his heart, obedient to God. So finally, there is one person to populate this category. And what does he do? What does that one person who populates the category of obedient to God do? And he goes to the cross. He goes to the cross so that he can take upon himself the guilt of sinners. So that he can step in as now a righteous sacrifice and offering to pay the penalty for the guilt of sinners. That is what happens with the only person who fits in this category of obedience and thus deserving of righteousness. He pays that penalty deserved by sinners. And not only did he pay that penalty, that would be like the removal of a debt. And that's a good thing when debt is removed. But a bank... Uh, account balance of zero does you no good. And God's expectation was not no sins. His expectation was holiness. His expectation is righteousness. His expectation is obedience. And Jesus was holy. And Jesus was righteous. And Jesus was obedient. And so when we talk about justification by faith. This is what we are talking about. And this is, this is where Paul gets in his argument. Is he, he wants it to be very clear in our minds about those two categories. But we all populate this category, the one that's deserving of wrath, and only Jesus populates the category of the righteous before God. And so we, by faith in Christ, will be justified before God. We will stand before Him our guilt having been paid for by Christ. Our obedience having been accomplished by Christ so that we can stand before God and have peace with God. And so that justification by faith, there is, there is nothing quite like it. And, and it, it makes sense of and it, it builds upon that difficulty, the darkness, the, the, the hardship, the the pregnancy of the first three chapters of the book, and it builds and it it brings about a birth and a joy and a peace that makes it worth it. 
that makes us understand, yes, it is. it was dark for me and I indeed was dead in my trespasses and sins following the course of this world. But God, but God, He gives us justification by faith in Christ. Paul sums it up later on in chapter 5. He puts it this way. Look at verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, that is Adam, as by Adam's disobedience we are all thrown into sin, as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, we can all agree with that, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And so here you have this exchange that happens. This exchange that comes about that is ours. That even though we all populated the wrong category when it comes to the judgment of works, Jesus Himself, who's the only one who populated the category of obedience, He's willing to give us His obedience. When our account is audited, what will God find there for those of us who have faith in Christ? His account. His account. His payment for my guilt. His payment for my sin. And more than that, His obedience in place of my disobedience. So that when my account is audited, when the, when the account of the person who is in Christ is audited, God finds perfect holiness and righteousness and obedience. And so that's why we can say these blessings are mediated through Christ. Only by Christ do we have access to this. Remember the, the two categories, and there is only one who has obeyed. The rest of us, of course, don't. We look at the world and we talk to people of different faiths and we uh, talk with them about the gospel and there's always some kind of assurance that I can accomplish something. Surely, I can climb the ladder. It's a really short ladder, perhaps. Or perhaps uh, God is hes going to reach halfway down the ladder, and if I can just climb up to Him, He'll take me the rest of the way. It always involves something that I can accomplish. But Paul is very clear, and the Bible is very clear. There's nothing we accomplish. Our works are all over here. They are on the wrong side of the ledger. And so only in Christ is this life mediated. Only in Christ can we have eternal life. Only in Christ can we have peace with God. This is what Jesus was referring to in John fourteen six when He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can knock on God's door apart from Christ all you want and you will only receive judgment in Christ, however. Looking not to what you've accomplished that's all over here on the wrong side of the ledger, but looking to what Christ has accomplished. You find acceptance with God. And that brings us to our final point, manifold blessings. Manifold blessings. 
He says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Notice that it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to have it, but we have peace with God. That's a, this is written in, in Greek, but the, the Hebrew idea behind it, the Old Testament idea behind it is shalom. And it's more than just peace as in the peace between enemies so that they stop shooting at each other. It's not just a cessation of hostility. It goes into the positive blessings of, of fellowship together. Benefits. Blessings of relationship with God. Well-being. Prosperity. It's very closely associated with the idea, the benefits of, of reconciliation. It's not just that you've stopped throwing spears at one another. It's that you have been reconciled and thus you experience the blessings of God. And so he says, first of all, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith. We have access to the Father through Jesus. We get to come to Him, not from the outside in, not, not as those who are trying to prove their own worth, but we get to come as children of God because of being in Christ, that we have access to Him. It's, uh, it's, it's like your child. If, if little Brennan comes into the office, and it could be a busy time of day and we could be about busy things, but if little Brennan walks into the church office, everything stops because he's family. He gets access. He gets to talk to Daddy. And if he came up right here, right now, I hope he doesn't, but, <laughs> but if he were to come up here, I, I wouldn't ignore him, shun him, turn him away. I'd probably pick him up, tell him to leave or whatever. I would stop because he has access to me. I'm his dad. And this is how we have become with the Father. We have access through Christ to the Father. Look at verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have access to the Father and we have hope of the glory of God. God's glory will be revealed and we will behold it and we will rejoice that we get to behold it and we will rejoice that we get to experience God's glory because what is our greatest purpose? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. His glory is our purpose. That's what we're after. And when we have been reconciled to God, when we have been made His children, when we are fully in Him, then we want to see His glory. We're not like those who receive judgment from experiencing His glory. We get to partake in it. And we... Uh, it is said of us that we ourselves are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's of His glory, meaning we get to experience the blessings of being in His glory. And all of these promises that have been made are finally and fully and ultimately fulfilled at the revelation of His glory. And for, for us who are in Christ, that is a wonderful and glorious thing. It's, it's what we look for. It makes sense out of everything else. We have hope in seeing the glory of God revealed. That's what Paul says in Titus chapter 2 when he talks about 
Christians waiting for their blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Waiting for God's glory. And so, we've talked, we've talked about chapter 2 and how dark that picture is and the, the presentation of the two categories. Judgment by works, and that's bad news for us, but that's not the end of the news. Chapter 5 is glorious. Justification by faith is glorious. This is the gospel. This is what makes sense of life. This is what makes sense of Scripture. This is what makes God knowable and known to us. That we can experience Him not from the outside, but as His children. Having access to Him. Having been reconciled with Him. Having peace with God. And so folks... It's important that we understand the downside. It's important that we understand those two categories, the standards that actually we will be judged by works. But Christian, it won't be by our works. Entrance into heaven is based upon the works of Christ. So when our account is audited, he sees the completed and perfect and final and full work of Christ on our behalf. And we have admittance. We have acceptance. We have peace with God. We have that shalom with Him. And so we rejoice in this. And I I hope this uh, reminder of the difficulties of chapters 1, 2, and 3 is not too much. I hope hope it's only part of the picture. I want you to get the full aspect of that dark picture. But it's only part of the picture. And it makes sense out of the rest. And it makes that gospel message so much more powerful. It makes it glorious to us. And so... When we come to application, how do we apply this? Well, first of all, if you haven't believed in Christ, you will give an account for your works. You will stand before God, and you will have your account assessed, audited. And if you are outside of Christ, being answerable to those works, being answerable for that account is not good news. It is bad news of judgment God will render justice, and that justice will be destruction, will be hell, will be always destruction but never destroyed, conscious and eternal and awful. And so today, as you, as you think about these two aspects, as you think about the demands of law and how you fall short, and you think about what Christ has accomplished. The, the call for you today who don't yet know Christ is to put your faith in Christ. To stop trusting in what you're doing or have done or whatever and put your faith in Christ and what He has accomplished. Because only He is in this category. Only He inherits those blessings from the Father. If you put your faith in Christ, He will give them to you. And you will be a joint heir with Christ. And so that's the call for you this morning, if you are apart from Christ. But some of you Christians may be wondering why I keep coming back to the gospel. I mean, get on with it, Pastor. There are other things to preach, aren't there? No. The gospel is central for understanding who you truly are and to to understanding your understanding with God, how you stand before God. 
And if you don't truly see the depth of your own need and your own sin, if you don't do so yet, you will begin to look elsewhere for a Savior. You will begin to be more confident that you can accomplish what God wants done. Your eyes will come away from the Messiah, from the Savior, from Jesus, and your eyes will focus on yourself, a new Messiah. But Christian, your only hope before God is Christ. Keeping the gospel front and center in your thinking will help you relate to God and to others around you as you ought to do. So we think about the gospel, we preach about the gospel because it is central and it is important. And other errors in the Christian life, other errors in lifestyle flow from a misunderstanding of the gospel or flow from a setting aside of the gospel because we feel like we should move on to more mature things. There is nothing more mature than the foundation. And so we keep it front and center, and it makes sense of life. I'll give you an example. How does keeping the gospel central in our thinking help a mom when she's parenting? When a child disobeys, and I'm sure only mine have done that, probably yours have not done that. When a child disobeys mom, the mom can be offended that her instructions were not kept. She can discipline the child. Well, both of those are legitimate and good, assuming it was good discipline and all that. But if that's as far as it goes, there's something lacking. But thinking about the gospel gives us more. The, the mother's instructions to the child, the mother's demands, requirements of the child are like God's requirements to mankind, are like God's requirements to you. The child is obligated to follow him, to follow those commandments, just like you are obligated to follow God's expectations. And the child's disobedience brings consequences from mom, just like our disobedience as humans brings consequences from God. Now the mom has an opportunity to explain to the child about sin and about the punishment for sin and about where sin comes from and what it is really like and that it's not just the doing of a bad thing but it's a string of doing the bad thing and it comes from a heart of disobedience. It comes from a heart of rebellion against the mom and against God. Just like the child cannot undo his disobedience to his mom, we cannot undo our disobedience to God. We deserve the consequences no matter how much we reform our behavior going forward. This is what a lot of people don't understand. You've already committed sin. If you lived perfectly, sinlessly from this moment forward, which is not a real possibility, if you live perfectly, sinlessly from this moment forward, you still have all of that to answer for. And all of that causes you to be deserving of death and damnation. So reforming your life, becoming a good person, is inadequate. Just like this child cannot undo disobedience to mom. The mom has an opportunity and a responsibility, moms and dads, it's Mother's Day, so I'll focus on moms, but this is a parental responsibility to point out where that sin comes from.
And that the problem isn't just that you did something wrong. The problem comes from a heart that wanted to do something wrong. A heart that wanted to disobey. A heart that wanted to get your own way. That's where it came from, is deep down within the heart. It didn't just happen. And it's a pattern of disobedience in the child's life. It's a pattern of disobedience in the human's life. And so, what can be done? What can be done? Well, just as the child deserves discipline, every person deserves punishment from God. And of course, that punishment is hell, and there's no getting out of that. And this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus who was always obedient. Jesus who did not have that heart impulse to do his own thing, to get his own way, to demand his own. He was willing to take the punishment for me. And that's an opportunity to preach the gospel to your child. That your child who has no hope within himself has hope in Christ has hope in Christ. And so, thinking about the gospel, keeping the gospel front and center, helps us in our parenting, helps us in our treatment of friends. What if someone sins against you? That's no fun. I've had that happen. That's no fun. You've had that happen and you know. That person's a sinner just like you. Their sin may look different than yours, may appear in different ways, But the mercy of God appears to you in the gospel. The accomplished work of Christ, of God showing you in Christ mercy, means that you too can show mercy to that person who has sinned against you. Means that you don't require them to measure up to your standard before you will allow them into your circle or whatever but that you can offer forgiveness. You can offer mercy. That doesn't mean you treat a kleptomaniac, you know, to you don't give them the key to your safe or whatever. You have a little wisdom, but, you, but you're willing to forgive. You have been forgiven much. And so keeping the gospel front and center helps us think about how to live the Christian life, helps us think about how we relate to the world and problems and difficulties and our own sin. I want to close with this. In our Connect group on Thursday, we were talking about the tendency that we can have to begin to look to our success, our victories in the Christian life, at how well we've done in the Christian life. And I'm not like I was before. And so we begin to look to what I've accomplished, look to what I've done, look to the things I've gotten beyond, the things I've gotten over, and and we subtly begin to think more of ourselves. We subtly begin to actually worship ourselves. And that, of course, is idolatry. And that's, that's keeping our eyes fixed directly away from the gospel. Or what about, on the other hand, Christian? You begin to look at your failure. And you begin to think, I'm a wretch and there is no hope for me. I'm probably not even a Christian. I I don't measure up to God's standard. You see how we just slipped into thinking we could move ourselves to the other category by our behavior? When our own sin reveals itself, 
Of course, we want to deal with our sin. We want to address our sin. But if the presence of sin in our lives causes us to look this way at ourselves, causes us to turn away from God and hope in Him, causes us to really seek to reform our own lives so that we can come to church with a good conscience again or we can uh, feel like we can pray without, without weeping or uh, without having to confess so much sin to God and, and then I'll be a good Christian. We have just warped, polluted, mixed the gospel. The fact is, Christian, victorious Christian who's been in Christ 50 years, you still are a wretch. But that's not the end of the story. Because, Christian, you are in Christ. And the way God assesses you, the way God looks at you, is by looking at Christ's work. Christ's payment of your penalty. So that you stand before God undeserving, even now after 50 years of victorious Christian life. You stand before God only because of Christ. You stand before Him not demanding to be able to demonstrate and display your worth, but pleading the worth of Christ. And there is joy in that. There is peace in that. Not just peace of heart. There is peace with God in that and in nowhere else. And so we will continue to proclaim the gospel and we will continue to hold it up. And, and as we preach through the book of Romans, this message is going to come up again and again and again. Our right standing before God is due to what Christ has accomplished. Or we get to plead our own case based upon our own disobedience. So again, this is a Mother's, Mother's Day message, sort of. It's on Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day. These are, these are deep thoughts, but they should not be dark thoughts. This should lead us to joy. This is where I find joy, is in this truth. If I, were, if I had to find joy in my own success as a Christian, I wouldn't be in front of you. I, wouldn't be in fr- I probably wouldn't be at church. I would be a miserable wretch. My joy is in Christ and what He has accomplished. My joy is that when the Father looks at me, He sees the righteousness of Christ, that Jesus Himself is actually at the right hand of the Father, even now pleading my case, pleading His own righteousness, His own payment of penalty for me, even now. And so He is able to save to the uttermost all of those who draw near to God through Him. That is where we find hope. Only there is where we find hope. And so as you go about your day and as you're, as you're celebrating and as you're celebrating your mom or as you're being celebrated, think about, think about what pregnancy was like. And think about the fact that there were dark days and dark times. But it had a purpose. Like God's patience has a purpose that we would see justification by faith and that we, by faith, would trust in Christ, look to Him, and have that right standing be moved from this category into this one because of Jesus. And there is joy in that. And there is hope in that. There is a hope in that that will carry you through anything else that would steal your hope. That's where it's to be found. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these truths. I I thank you that chapter 5 exists. I thank you that chapter 2 exists. That we would not be deceived into thinking there will be no judgment. That we would not be deceived into thinking that we will never give an account for our lives. That that, uh, we have this life and we breathe this air and so we should uh, eat, drink and be merry because this is all there is. Thank you that chapter 2 exists and tells us that there is coming a day when our account will be assessed. Oh, and I, I thank you for Jesus. I will thank you for Jesus for eternity because of His work, His obedience to you in His life and on the cross, paying that penalty for me, obeying for me, so that when my account is assessed, they will be the works of Christ that will be assessed. Father, I pray that that would be true for each one in this room and for those who are, who are hearing this gospel and don't believe it. I pray that you would work in their hearts even now, that you would change their minds, that you would shine into their dark hearts the light of the gospel, that you would save them even now. Father, we rejoice that we can know you and we rejoice in justification before you by faith in Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. In a moment, uh, I'm going to close us, and we'll have someone come up to pray with you. There will be a family available to pray with you. And uh, otherwise, God bless you all, and go and have a glorious and joyful and meaningful Mother's Day because you understand justification by faith, and may you be justified by faith in Christ even today. God bless you all. Happy Mother's Day, and you are dismissed.